0: You're faithful giving at work, so that's great. Well, listen, I first wanted to tell you a little bit about Creation Ministries International in case you haven't heard of us. We actually literally are international, we have offices in seven countries on five continents. We were founded over 45 years ago. We speak in over 1,000 churches worldwide every year, and we employ more PhD scientists than any ministry in the world but we're not just about science. And let me see if I can explain that to you. How many of you, when you've been out sharing your faith, have had people challenge your belief in the Bible with questions like this? I mean, did God really create in six days? I mean, after all, science has proven that evolution in millions of years are are a scientific fact. And what about dinosaurs? How did all the animals fit on the ark? What about ape men, carbon dating? Where did all the races come from? and Why does a loving God allow death and suffering? Now, do me a favor. If you had people challenge you with questions like that, would you put your hand in the air? Keep it up in the air. Now look around the room. See, that's what our ministry is about. Yes, we do deal with science, but we're giving you easy-to-understand answers to those questions as well as many more. And you can find the answers on our website. All right, and our website address is kind of hard to remember, so we're going to practice a little scientific uh, thing today. How many people here know that scientists have proven that if you say something audibly out loud with your mouth, you're more apt to have it imprinted in your brain? Did you guys know that? It's true. So would you all please join me in saying this together? Creation.com. Can you remember that? If you were to go there this afternoon, you'd find over 15,000 articles written by our scientists and professionals over the last four plus decades, answering those and many more questions. For example, how about this guy? We got some tragic news a number of years ago. What happened? He died. And how did he die? A stingray stung him in the heart, and so people challenged us, writing into our our, uh, our email, and they said, "Oh yeah, you Christians, why would a loving God create stingrays that can kill?" But that's a good question. So for people that signed up for our email newsletter, they received this article in their inbox within just a couple of days after he passed with a biblical and scientific answer to that tough question. And in only 10 days, it became our most visited article ever because believers like you were passing it on to their family and friends, showing them that there are answers to tough questions. And am I right that in the news we hear all the time about the latest dinosaur discovery that proves evolution or perhaps the missing link between ape-like creatures and man, do you guys see those in the news? It's all the time. Well, chances are we're writing an article that you can use, that you can share with others. So if you want to be part of our ministry, we'd like to invite everyone here to sign up for our free email newsletter. It only comes out about once a day, so we're not going to spam you, but it'll help keep you up to date on the latest information in the creation and evolution debate. So if you could circulate those now, and if you guys could take those sign-up sheets and just pass them to the people behind you and send them all the way back, that would be great. Question, how many people here know that kids seem to hear about evolution 24-7? It seems, it's, it's saturated in our culture, and if that's the case, where are they going to hear a biblical response? Is it going to be when they go to school? How about when they turn on TV? Certainly by the time they get to be in university. So please understand, the heart of our ministry is to give answers to the questions that people are asking. You can find the answers again where, everybody? All right, let's go ahead and get started with the presentation. Now, I did mention that we are an international ministry, so you're probably wondering where my funny accent comes from, because I do come from a foreign land. It's called California. I don't know if you've heard of it before. But I don't want you to hold it against me. I'm actually not a native Californian, but when I did move there, I needed to adapt to my environment. Being a scientist, I know that's whatever good organism must do to survive. And to prove to you that I adapted to that California environment, here is me catching a wicked 12-inch wave. And luckily, my graphic artist decided to make me look a little bit more macho than I actually am. But speaking of macho, I would like to introduce you to my friend Sammy here. Uh, Sammy's what you call a real man. Do we have any of those here today? Apparently a couple. All right, great. Well, in a case, Sammy is a native California. He loves to surf. He fits the stereotype. But get this, he's also a professional California beach lifeguard. Now, many years ago, he was assigned to Pismo Beach. However, it was his day off, so he took his quad out and he was riding up and down the beach, enjoying his time off. However, a storm was coming in toward the end of the day and the sun hit the Pacific Ocean, so he knew it was time to ride back through those stormy winds back to camp to rest up for his next day's work. However, when he came to this very spot in the darkness, there were 12 people that were waving their arms to get his attention. So he drove over there, and as soon as he turned off his engine, he found out why they were excited. That was because there was a surfboard there on the beach, but the surfer was about 100 yards off. And on this night, that storm was building waves with eight-foot faces, picking up his body and throwing him into the rocks below. And after this time, he had been so lacerated, he had lost more than half of his blood screaming in pain, Sammy did respond. He took off his helmet and his boots and those things would weigh him down and was able to find a rip current through those waves and got to that man, brought him back to shore with a great effort, but his life was spared with medical attention. So here's a question for each of us this morning, and that is, are you willing, or I should ask this question first, why did he do it while those dozen people just stood there and watched? Somebody tell me why. He was, he was prepared. He was equipped. He was trained. He knew how to navigate those waves. And, you know, I think those waves are kind of like our culture. They're pounding on people like those questions we're dealing with, like, is there a God? Does he love me? And how about this last one? Is the Bible true? And am I right that in our culture, that last question has been answered with a resounding no? No? is most people have heard or believe that science has proven evolution. And so if that's true, then the Bible can't be true from the beginning, then it's really a bunch of fairy tales. I believe it's like a tsunami that are pulling people away from the truth of that solid rock on which we're commanded to stand, the, the holy word of God. But I would like to start out with a challenge for each of us this morning, and that is, are you willing to equip and train yourself with the answers to the tough questions people are asking, challenging our belief in the Bible so that we can be the one that dives in and rescues the perishing while perhaps others stand by and watch. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, does this sound like a suggestion or a command? It's a command for every believer. And by the way, this word answer comes from a Greek word, "apologian," And that is a legal term. It was used in the courts of law to describe what an attorney would do in order to give a reason, rational, logical defense for his client or perhaps prosecute the accused. So, question. Does this sound like you today? Are you always prepared with a defense for your faith, including in the area of creation and evolution, which is the number one intellectual excuse people use for not believing in the Bible? We need to have a defense for our faith. Now, you might be thinking, why science? I mean, here we are in church. We learn about the Bible. But did you know that the Bible actually has some scientific statements in it? In fact, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there's a phrase that's repeated 10 times. It says that God created plants and animals to reproduce after their what? Kind. That basically means dogs give birth to dogs, pigs give birth to pigs, and corn kernels bring us corn plants. Does that happen here in Arizona too? Yeah. I thought so. But when you think about it, it's really that the genetic information that's in those original created kinds by god okay they do pass on their genetic information to future generations and although god built into creatures the ability to adapt to their environment through the process of natural selection and now random mutations nonetheless the bible is very clear that god created plants and animals to reproduce after their kind however most people hear a very different story than that don't they Most people are taught that science has proven that evolution is true and thus life came out of non-life by some chance, okay? And that as creatures pass on their genetic information to future generations through the process of natural selection and random mutations, that over millions and millions of years one kind of creature can change into a completely different kind of creature over vast amounts of time. Now, do you see the difference between these two accounts? And you know our kids do, they, they see the contradiction, they're, they're smart, they know both of these can't things can't be true. And yet if they're in science class, the science teacher might say something like, now, if you happen to believe the Bible and if those Bible stories give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, I, I won't hold that against you, you can believe your Bible stories But you see, while we're here in science class, here we're dealing with facts. Now, do you see the decision that has to be made? And you know, it's not just our kids, am I right? I mean, do any of you have family members that think you're just a little nuts for believing a straightforward reading in the Bible as opposed to what most people believe science has proven, which is evolution? I hope you can see why we need to have a defense for our faith in this very area. And if we don't, what's going to happen? You know, perhaps you've heard the Barnett Institute statistics that say that two thirds of children raised in Christian homes by the time they get to the age of 18, they leave and depart from church or the faith. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? And of course, we're talking about somebody else's kids and grandkids, not our own, right? And to be fair, other organizations, they did their own surveys to find out how many children raised in Christian homes were leaving the faith. But can I ask you guys a question? Which percentage would be acceptable to you and your family? Now, we went on college campuses here in the United States, and we first identified students that had regularly attended church in the past. And then we had some follow-up questions for those church, former church attenders. first question was, do you believe in creation or evolution? Not surprising to us, the majority said evolution. And of those dozen students that responded to that, we asked another question. We said, had you ever been given any scientific evidence that supports the historical account of the Bible? And all of those Those students, with the exception of one young man, said, no, I didn't know there was any. None of them attended church anymore. However, of the five and only five students that said they believed the biblical account of creation, we asked if they had ever been given any scientific evidence to support the historical account of the Bible, and with a smile, unanimously said, oh, yeah, we know. And they uh all, those five, continued to attend church. So... I hope you, again, you can say that we need to be equipped with a defense for our faith. Think about this. Jesus said, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. Then how how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things like the gospel? Again, it's important. That is why we do employ more PhD scientists than any ministry in the world. Not to fill your head with a bunch of hard-to-understand science, but we're going to give you a, help give you a defense for your faith that you can use for the sake of not only your children and maybe your grandchildren, but also an ability to uh, more effectively share the gospel with your neighbors and your coworkers who maybe don't know Christ, who have been told all their life, that science has proven evolution to be a fact. All right, now, science in church. You might be thinking, wait, that's what you do in school. We don't do that in church. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about science here, and I'm hoping that if you didn't like science in junior high school, don't put out a pillow and take a nap. I'm going to make it really easy to understand. But this concept I'm about to share with you is very, very important for everybody in the room, especially students, to understand. And that is... What is science? You know, the first thing that people think of when they think of science usually is operational or what we would call experimental science. Now, do you guys remember using the scientific method maybe when you were in uh, middle school? Does anybody remember that? Where you develop a hypothesis, you perform an experiment, you make observations, you record data, and you could repeat it. Do you guys remember the scientific method? You know, for example, let's say someone here did not believe in the law of gravity, okay? We could actually do an experiment, we could make observations, record data, we could repeat it. You see, experimental science is the kind of science that's done right here in the present, right before our very eyes, that give us great discoveries that lead to things like space travel and even medical advances that benefit us all. However, when we're talking about evolution, or for that matter, anything that happened in the past, did you know it's not this kind of science? See, what we're talking about then is historic or what some people call forensic science. Now let's say in the same way that there was somebody here, or maybe you know somebody that believes that a fish over millions and millions of years of passing on its genetic information to future generations through the process of natural selection and random mutations that one of its offspring, millions of years later, would have the genetic code that would allow it to sprout new novel structures that would allow that fish to walk onto land. Now, if you believe that to be true, can you do an experiment to prove that it happened? Can you observe it happening? Is it repeatable? so this is a fossil okay now does this fossil exist in the past or the present okay i heard different answers let me see if i can clarify the question a little um does this fossil exist in the past or the present present you see All the evidence and all the fossils we have exist in the present. When we dig up a dinosaur, tell me, does it come with a label on it that tells us how old it is or how it lived, what it ate? No, we have to take the evidence that's with us in the present and paint a picture of what happened in the past. And that's because, you see, the evidence doesn't speak for itself. It must be interpreted. Now, let me ask you a question. In fact, let's do a vote with a show of hands, and that is who has the most uh, evidence, evolution or creation. How many people say evolution has the most evidence? All right, how many people say creation has the most evidence? All right, can I ask you a follow-up question? When paleontologists are looking at the fossil record that we have with us in the present, in the various uh, museums and paleontological digs that are around the world, okay? Do the creation scientist and the evolutionary scientist, do they have the same evidence and facts to observe in the present or different? It's the same. And how about when an astronomer might be looking at a distant galaxy and the light and energy waves are coming into his mass spectrometer? Do the creation scientist and the evolutionary scientist, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? Same. So let me ask you the question again. Who has the most evidence, evolution or creation? All right, I, a few of you are getting it, but I hear a little bit of mumbling. Let's, let's make sure we understand this concept. Let's do our own little experiment. Take a look at this fact, make your observations, record your data. Here's the hypothesis we will consider. What is, would this look like originally? I'm gonna make it easier, multiple choice. How many people think it was A? How about B? C. Got one optimist back there, okay, good. How about D, how many people think it was D? All right, you wanna know the answer? (laughs) I want you to think about this before you respond. Why did you look for something missing? Because I told you to look for something missing, right? What I did is I gave you what we call in science a presupposition, that's a big long word, that means an assumption that you might use when looking at the evidence. So congratulations everyone, your conclusion was completely consistent with your presupposition, which was completely wrong. And I know you're thinking I tricked you, but that was actually my point. In fact, the next thing I'm going to share is so important that I want everybody to remember this, not just for days, but decades, especially if you're a student, listen up and remember this on the long term. And that is that when you're watching a program on evolution or perhaps reading an article or a textbook, I want to make sure you know this, you are not being given facts. You're being given an interpretation of facts that is based on a presupposition that in the case of evolution has some really big scientific problems with this. And I think we need to be like the Bereans. Do you guys remember them in the Bible? They wanted to know what is the truth and should we do anything less on this very critical and important topic. <clears throat> Historic science is like the television show uh, CSI, and I don't know if Pastor James allows you to watch such programs. I, I only do so for research purposes myself, but... In case you haven't seen one of those crime dramas, the scientists are they're, they're, uh, sometimes literally digging up facts and evidence about a crime that happened in the past. And they bring these facts and evidence into the courtroom to be presented to the jury. However, there are two opposing attorneys that are interpreting those facts and evidence for them. And so toward the end of the trial, one attorney might be saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you've seen the facts and evidence, and it's obviously, it shows that my client is innocent. You guys saw that, it's so clear, the facts speak for themselves. And yet the other attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the facts clearly show his guilt. I mean, you saw that, that can't be. And this one's saying, wait, he's misinterpreting the facts, and this one's going, "Uh-uh, he's misinterpreting. But guys, it's the same facts, same evidence for both sides one interpretation against the other, and it's up to the jury to decide which one makes the most sense. However, in the creation and evolution debate that we are facing in our culture right now, most people, including those that might be your neighbors and your coworkers, have been told that science has proven evolution. And there's a good chance they've never heard the other side of the story. So if that's the case, who will tell them the other side? All right. I'm going to show you a few examples of some really easy-to-understand facts and evidence that support the historical account of the Bible. And I'm going to start out with an icon of millions of years of evolutionary time, which should be very special to everybody here in this room, because I see it mentioned on your license plates, That's right, I'm talking about the Grand Canyon, which by the way, gives me an excellent opportunity to slip in a family vacation shot. But if you were to go to the Grand Canyon today, you would of course be told, and it would be on the signs that it took millions and millions of years for those layers to be laid, and millions and millions of years for that relatively small river to carve through those massive layers of rock. And indeed, when we do look at the process of sedimentation, of laying down those massive layers, what we observe in the present is that each layer is a very, very slow process. That's what we observe in the present. So, if what we observe today is what's always happened in the past, then I would grant you, it had to have taken millions of years. However, did you know that the evidence is overwhelming that those massive layers were laid down by water. And where do we find massive layers like this? I mean, the Grand Canyon to be sure, but did you know that no matter where you go on the globe, if you start digging, you're going to find massive, extensive, very deep layers of sediment? And guess what we find inside that sediment? Fossils. So let me ask you a question. Can you think of any historical event recorded in the Bible that might explain massive sedimentary layers laid down by water covering the entire planet, including the evidence of dead things? Does anything come to mind? You know, and I had a a young man come up to me, and he said, You've got to be kidding. You guys claim to be scientists? And you say you believe the Bible? Because when the Bible talks about the flood, the Bible says that the highest mountains in the world were covered by water. And there's not enough water to do that. That's a good question. Are you ready with an answer? Well, I might show him this. You know, perhaps you heard or you learned back in middle school that 70% of our planet is covered by incredibly unbelievably deep deep oceans in fact did you know that if you were able to take the mountains and the continents and kind of push them down and take the ocean basins and reform our planet like a perfect sphere like a basketball did you know that there would be over two my almost two miles of water covering this planet with just the water that's in the ocean basins today does that sound like enough water for a cataclysmic worldwide flood like the Bible tells us about? And you know what? It's even more exciting than that. Because you see, in the sedimentary layers of the highest mountains in the world, including Mount Everest, did you know that we find fossilized marine invertebrates? That's clams and crabs. Crabs indicating that these layers were one time underneath the oceans, just like God's word has been telling us all along. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? It supports the historical account of the Bible as opposed to what many claim that science has proven evolution with its millions of years of time. And speaking of those layers being laid down, here's 24 feet 24 feet of thousands of layers of rock. Now, did these take millions or you would think at least thousands of years to lay down those almost 1,000 layers? But if you did assume that, you would actually be wrong because these layers were laid down in three hours. That was on June 12th. 1980, right after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which made a Little impact on me since I was 63 miles from the volcano when it erupted. And this is just a little bit of the, inch, uh, the ash that was three inches thick in my f- parents' front yard, as well as another opportunity to slip in yet another family vacation shot. But if you were to take your vacation to Mount St. Helens, you would encounter this canyon. Now, this canyon is huge, it's actually 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon. And if you weren't there to see it formed, you might logically assume that it took a really long time for that little bitty river to carve through those layers of rock, but you would actually be wrong, because this canyon was formed in one day. It was March 19th, 1982, after a flow came through here at highway speed cutting through the then soft layers, which had just been laid down, who only decades later turned to stone. Does that remind you of anything else you've seen before? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? supports the historical account of the Bible. Now that same man that challenged me about the water, he said, okay, you guys claim to be scientists and you talk about fossils all the time, but everybody knows it takes millions of years to form a fossil. So how do you answer a question like that? Well, how about we start talking about how fossils are formed. Now, if you were to go to a museum, you were likely to find this explanation where Mr. Dinosaur dies and sinks to the bottom of the ocean, is slowly buried over millions of years, and then through the process of permineralization through millions of years later, his bones turn to stone until eventually either an erosional event uncovers Mr. Dinosaur or perhaps a paleontologist digs him up. I will admit that at one time, I thought that made sense to me, but is this what we observe in the real world? You see, many years ago, I went to, took my daughter to Walmart and I bought her two goldfish and she named them Romeo and Juliet. Now that was on a Thursday. Two days later, it was about 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, she is yelling from her room, Daddy, Daddy, look, look, come here, Daddy, you gotta see this, hurry, Daddy, come here. And I want to let you know that I'm a very patient and gentle father being woken up at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. But nonetheless, I did come into her room and I go, what? And she said, look, Daddy, Romeo is kissing Juliet. And being more of an objective observer at that time, I did rub my eyes and took a second glance and confirmed my observation and corrected her and said, no, actually, Romeo is, well, well, eating Juliet, poor poor Juliet. And if any of you have fish tanks at home and one of your precious fish die, where are you going to find it? Chances are it's going to be floating on top. If you don't believe me, you can do an experiment this afternoon. All you need is one drop of cyanide, but no, you don't want to do that. But is it true that when we're watching a high-definition documentary about ocean life, that when the cameras come down on the ocean basins, is it true that we see dozens, if not thousands of sea creatures completely intact, being slowly buried over millions of years. No, that's not what we observe. So you see, if I wanted to make a fossil of my daughter's remaining goldfish, what I had to do was get a shovel of concrete, sneak into her room in the middle of the night, and throw it in there really quickly. No, I didn't do that. But Is there any fossil evidence that supports this idea that the only way we can get fossils is through a rapid catastrophic uh, uh, event like we have in Noah's flood in the Bible? Well, take a look at this. Here is a fish that was buried so quickly it was caught right in the middle of having lunch. That'd be a pretty long lunch, wouldn't it be, huh? How about this? Here's an ichthyosaur in the process of giving birth. Now, ladies, I've heard stories of long labors, but millions of years? We'll just wait here. How about this? Here's a hat that was buried for 20 years. You might say it evolved from a soft hat into a hard hat, or here is a bag of flour after only decades turned to stone, or in this case, a teddy bear after only three to five months. Turned to stone. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see? The evidence supports the historical account of the Bible as opposed to what many say science has proven in evolution with its millions of years. Now, okay, if I take a little break here, I want to ask you guys a question. Those examples that I just shared with you just now, were they easy to understand? I mean, was I talking over anybody's head? Yet more importantly, can you picture yourself sharing examples and evidence like that to your children and grandchildren or perhaps neighbors and coworkers who don't know Christ who have been told all their life that science has proven evolution to help turn their way that they think about the Bible to consider that it may be true so that the Holy Spirit can have his way and they can come to the kingdom of God. I hope you can see how we can all do that. Now, I know that there's a lot of people that are thinking, why does the guy keep talking about millions of years? What's the big deal? I mean, we, we talk about the Bible in church. The Bible is a book of morality. Why don't we just stick with important doctrines of the Bible? But do you think adding millions of years into the Bible, if we could do so, do you think it might impact some important doctrines? Well, let's take a look at that. You may have noticed that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are a lot of genealogies. Have you guys noticed that? And it's interesting, because in the Old Testament, we have what's called chrono-genealogies. That's when it says, so-and-so was so old when he was born, and his son was so old when he was born, and he had a son when he was so old when he was born, and you can add up those generations, and you'll actually get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Abraham. Are you following me so far? You could do simple math. And then after that, isn't it interesting that God tells us about time constantly, that the Israelites were in Egypt for exactly this many years, and that this king ruled for this many years, followed by this king for this many years, followed by this king for this many years. You can actually do a mathematical assessment and add those years up and we'll get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Jesus. And using the Bible, we can know all the historical events that have happened during that time. So, if you believe science has proven millions of years and you need to account for that in the Bible, can you squeeze any of those millions of years between Adam and Jesus, logically? No, of course not, but you know what a lot of people do? They'll say each day of creation in Genesis represents millions and billions of years. Have you guys heard that? It's actually a very popular idea, but I wanna let you know that if you do take that position, there's a huge doctrinal problem and I'm holding it in my hand right here. Because that is that if you believe that those sedimentary layers were laid slowly over millions and billions of years, and they contain dead things, including evidence in the fossil record of cancer, that means that we have death before the fall. Death before sin. Now, does it sound like we might be touching on an important doctrine? Let's take a look at this even a little further. In the last verse of Genesis one, God said his creation wasn't just good, but it was what? Very good, so what does a very good world look like? Well, check this out. A couple verses earlier, God said, I give you plants for food. So not to disappoint you too much here, you Arizonans. Is that what you are, Arizonans or Arizonians? I don't know. In any case, that means in that perfect world where there was no death of animals, there was also no barbecue. But notice in the next verse, he gives the animals the same command. He said, I give you plants for food. So if we're taking the Bible as it's plainly written, both man and animal were what? Vegetarian, which comes from an ancient Hebrew term that means bad hunter. (laughs) But just in case you're feeling guilty because you had some bacon with your eggs this morning, I want to let you know later on, God said, just as I gave you green plants for food, I now give you everything for food, which some people use as biblical justification to eat these things. But you got to understand that that very good world that God proclaimed at the end of creation was a paradise. It was a perfect place. There was no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no death. We were created to live in harmony with our creator for eternity But you guys all know we don't live in a world like that anymore, do we? And that's because God commanded Adam. He said that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely, what? Die. So you see, this is when death came into the world. If you had to summarize the Bible from the beginning to the end... You would say this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was a perfect paradise. There was no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no death. We were to live in harmony with our creator. However, because of Adam's disobedience, because we worship a loving and merciful God who is also just, and you should be thankful for God's justice, there was a penalty for sin, which was what? Death. And the Bible says that every descendant of Adam inherits that sin nature, and along with it, the penalty of death. It's a very grim picture. However, God sent a rescue mission, didn't he? He sent his own son, who was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, who became the perfect Lamb of God, that was sacrificed for our sins by dying and taking the death that we deserve upon his shoulders so that at the end of the Bible, do you guys read about this? There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. Is anybody else looking forward to that perfect paradise? And yet, when we say that that paradise that God said was very good, was preceded by millions of years of sedimentary layers, including evidence of death and even cancer. Does anybody here think that's very good? See, we need a perfect place beforehand. And if we take and say each day represents millions of years, we're actually turning the gospel upside down. The Bible starts with a perfect paradise and ends with one. Are you guys following me? And if, if you don't think it's important, perhaps this atheist can convince you. In a debate with an atheist, this guy said, the most devastating thing though that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. He said, now that we know that Adam and Eve were never real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. He said, if there never was an Adam and Eve, then there never was an original sin. And if there never was an original sin, there is no need of salvation. And guess what, if there's no need of salvation, There's no need of a savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. And this atheist concluded, I think that evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. And on that point, we should agree, it is. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, the millions of years. I mean, what's the big deal with that? I mean, it's okay, I mean, We worship a powerful and mighty God and he could have created in any way he wanted. And you know what? I'll agree, he could have created in any way he wanted. But don't you think it's about time that we allow God to tell us how he created through his inerrant word? And speaking of causing a division in the church, how about this guy? Let's hear what he had to say on this subject. He says, when Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever's in them in six days, if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then please grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn his word in the direction you wish to go. <coughs> now, the nature of our culture might be better stated by a more modern theologian that you're familiar with. And he said, the church used to hang the whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you don't act morally, you're going to burn in hell. But listen to what he said next. He said, unfortunately, with what we know about science, anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in that fire and brimstone stuff anymore. So organized religion, you have lost that voice to hold up your moral hand. And have you ever heard anything else like that before? It's basically saying now that the Bible's biology and geology and astronomy and therefore history, that science has proven that those are wrong, then that means that the morality contained in the same biblical text is therefore also wrong. So you Christians have no right to tell me how to live my life because science has proven your Bible is wrong wrong. But I'll tell you what we can do. If you guys want to believe your Bible stories, they give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life. That's great. That way you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. That way you'll be okay, and I'll be in an eternal perspective, will I be? And as you know, Bruce actually is facing eternity right now. But isn't this a reflection of our culture? And we need to demolish arguments that are set up against people knowing the true creator, Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that through Christ, by him and through him, all things were created. He was there in the beginning, John chapter one. And shouldn't we take Jesus's word for it that it, that's how it was created? Now, there are a lot of questions and challenges that our culture has. And we've only had a brief time here just to to go over a few, but I'm hoping that I can show you that it is easy to get equipped with answers like this. They're easy to understand, and they're ones that you can use for the sake of your family. We need to have a defense for our faith. Now, I hope you don't mind me being very practical right now. Um, How many people here know that there is a war waging for the souls of men going on right now? And if that is the case, should we go into that battle unarmed, untrained, unequipped? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I remember about 10% of sermons for 10 minutes, and then it's gone. But to be honest, if you listen to a recording of a message a second or a third time, would you understand the information better? Of course, that's called studying. That's called equipping. That is preparing yourself. So again, I, I hope you don't mind me being very practical. Our vision for our ministry is to see an army of believers sharing this information, not only with their families, but with the people they're trying to reach with the gospel, to show them that the Bible is true and that the life-giving gospel is something that can bring people into the kingdom through believers like you. So again, I hope you don't mind being practical. You guys might have noticed that we did bring some resources. We have some out there on the table. Uh, The reason we bring those isn't because we need to get money through there. We actually really don't make uh, much of any kind of profit on that at all. In fact, we come to churches, we don't even charge a fee. So we come to churches uh, just the way it is. But I do want to emphasize one particular resource where we get more testimonies of people coming to know Christ because of believers being equipped with these easy to understand things. And that is specifically the Creation Magazine. I know some people here actually have subscribed to it. This is uh, the most read publication of its kind in the world. Um, It comes out quarterly, it's 56 pages long, well illustrated, all very easy to understand, great for the whole family. There's a children's section in the middle. but it also doesn't have any advertising in it. And I don't know if you guys get magazines at home, but if you took out all the advertising, would you have 56 pages left? But what's left in here isn't just a good recipe for butternut squash. This is information that will build your faith in the creator. Just as Romans 1 said, that we are without excuse because his glory can be seen in what he's created. It will build your faith, but I think more importantly, it will help equip you with things you can use in order to open conversations that will lead to people understanding that the Bible makes sense of the evidence and the gospel is true. So If you do decide to equip your family with some of these, with this particular thing, if you subscribe today, you're gonna take the current issue with you home to start reading this afternoon. And it comes out quarterly, like I said. In addition, you'll also, every month, you'll get a newsletter that has some information in it. In addition to that, you'll have five digital copies of the magazine that you can share with five people for their iPad, their tablet, or whatever, so everybody in your family can have their own copy. If you upgrade to a two-year subscription, we'll throw in two DVDs. One is a very high-quality documentary where Darwin goes on the HMS Beagle to the Galapagos Islands. And with the help of secular and creationist scientists, we talk and ask the question, would Darwin come up with the same conclusion if he knew all the evidence that we are aware of today? As well as this documentary I mentioned before, you can see students in their own words tell why they left the faith and we'll give you answers to their questions. So in a moment, we're going to circulate the sign-up sheets for the magazine because we do need your name and address. So if you guys could take those, pass those back, and very important to remember this, take the slip off off of there and bring it back and we'll get you your free gifts. Now, while those are being passed back, I'm gonna give you two really cool examples of of some evidence that makes sense of the historical account of the Bible. How many people here have heard that carbon dating proves millions of years? Right? Well, get a load of this. A sample was taken from a volcanic lava dome and sent to a potassium argon dating lab, and they got an age of 350,000 years. A mineral was taken from the same sample, and this time they got 900,000. And yet another mineral was taken, and this time it was 2.8 million. Now, it was the same sample taken from the same volcanic lava dome, sent to the same potassium-argon dating lab, the same mass spectrometer, but they got all these different dates. So which one do you think is right? Actually, that's the correct age, 10 years. And the reason is, is because this sample came from the Mount St. Helens volcanic lava dome And that rock was formed only 10 years before. So, and by the way, this type of experiment has been repeated hundreds of times. We're publishing this kind of information for you all the time that you can share. But let me ask you, if radioisotope dating gives a date from a rock when we know how old it is that's completely wrong, do you think it brings into question radioisotope dates of rocks when we don't know the age? Can you see yourself sharing that? Pretty cool. And then one more thing, and if you guys haven't heard this one, this is a mind blower, and that is that Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who was an evolutionist at Montana State University at the time, discovered in the femur of a Tyrannosaurus rex dinosaur, she found red blood cells. Think about that. This scientist said, I got goosebumps. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone, but of course I couldn't, what? Believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones after all, they are 65 million years old. I know that to be a fact. How could blood cells survive that long? That's a good question, but you know what? It didn't stop there. They dissolved the bony matrix and they found this soft fibrous tissue transparent blood vessels with liquid contents and flexible and resilient tissue that could be stretched. Does that look 65 million years old to you? And by the way, this has been repeated on many dinosaur bones. But listen to how she initially responded. It was totally shocking. I didn't what? Believe it until we'd done it, what? Seventeen times. Do you remember operational science that's done right there in the laboratory, right before our eyes? We make observations, record data, we repeat it. But she couldn't believe it. She was shocked. And you know what? I don't blame her because sometimes our faith in what we believe is hard to let go. However, would it be okay if I shared an alternate interpretation of this evidence on the back of my PhD colleagues? Would that be okay? The dinosaur bones are not 65 million years old. So anyhow, I hope you can see how you can get equipped with this kind of information, how you can be starting to spread the word that the Bible is true. And you can find the answers on our website, which is what again, everybody? We have a strong social media presence. Go under to our website. You can get linked there. Uh, Besides the magazine, I do want to point out one other very important uh, thing. If you're just getting started in this, I would get the starter pack. We have quite a few of those. uh, Or actually, we have enough to probably get it. But uh, it includes three books. One is the answers book, the most foundational thing. This sold out uh, from the first service. But the answers books have the 60 most asked questions, including... Carbon Dating, Plate Tectonics, Noah's Ark, The Ice Age, Eight Men, Dinosaurs, and my favorite question, where did Cain get his wife when he wasn't able? Also, Refuting Evolution is inside that starter pack. This is the biggest selling creation book of all time. Additionally, Evolution's Achilles Seals, we have the book, the video also sold out, but if you would like to put down your name and address, we will ship it to you for free if you pay for it today. And two... two, uh, uh, Curriculums. This is an adult curriculum, 12 weeks with videos. If somebody wants to buy that for the church here, you guys could do it. I would like to say that you could buy this too, but that was bought by the first service. So, uh, I, 20 years ago, resources like this didn't even exist. And I think right now is an exciting time to be a Christian. But I would like to conclude with the question we started with today. And that is, are you willing to equip and train yourself with the answers to the tough questions that people are asking, challenging a straightforward reading of the Bible, so that you can be the one that dives in and rescues the perishing while perhaps others stand by and watch, so that you can fulfill this command to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Thank you guys very much. Creation of the water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. Steve Been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.